Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. If you're a parent or guardian in Missouri with a kid or teen who enjoys library books at home, there's now a new rule in place that requires youth patrons to get parental permission to check materials out. Jason Cool, CEO of the St. Charles City County Library District, says he's concerned this will deter teens from wanting a library card. It's interesting in in today's environment where pretty much anything is available to anyone on their phone. The idea that we have to sort of, you know, put this barrier up for a library is, uh, I think it's, it's pretty out of touch with what, what conditions in the real world actually are. So how are libraries handling implementation of the new rule? How might children be affected by it? Today, we've got a guest to offer us their perspective on that and how it reflects cultural and political challenges facing libraries at this moment in time. Joining us from Columbia is Kimberly Muller, president-elect of the Missouri Library Association and University of Missouri librarian. Kimberly, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Thank you for having me. Now the, this new rule, introduced by Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft in April 2023, says that Missouri teens must have adult permission to check out materials at public libraries. Kimberly, what exactly is meant by permission? Well, I would say that this is actually an attempt of many libraries to interpret the rule that was brought up in November of last year. The Secretary of State proposed a rule that has multiple components, and some of those are directed to things that libraries already do, having a collection development policy, for example, and some of it is a bit more vague. It's very specific about parental limitations and parents having the ability to be involved with their children and what their children are checking out. And this is something libraries have always done, have consistently done, We want families to be involved. We want parents to be involved with their children and often to be at the library with their children. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the rule is vague enough in its language and saying, you know, what's appropriate for a teen or what's appropriate for a child. And that definition is very individual. Mm -hmm. What one family finds to be appropriate, another family might not. So what we're seeing is a rise in challenges where One individual, one parent might say, well, this book isn't appropriate for my child, so it has to be removed. And then that brings up all sorts of legal considerations now with this rule. So many libraries are attempting to be in compliance by saying, okay, well, our new policy says that if you agree as a parent for your child to have a library card, it means they have access to everything that the library contains. And you can choose to not agree for your child to have a library card. But if you do sign that agreement, if you do sign that waiver, it's your parental responsibility to make sure that what your child or what your minor um, is using library for fits with your personal standards. It's not the library's job to police those standards Mm -hmm. on an individual basis. In addition to permission, what else does the rule require of public libraries? 
Sure. So it's a list of about six things. Um, the first is that libraries have to have a collection development policy. This is standard. Libraries have collection development policies. They pretty much always have. It's why you see children's materials in a different section than you see romance novels. Um, the real sticking point is that the second portion of this says that um, no funds can be used to purchase or acquire materials that constitute as child pornography or um, that are pornographic to minors. And it's weird to even say this because of course that's true. It's already illegal to provide children with explicit materials, and it should be, and libraries have never interacted with children in that capacity or that way. The trick is that the term used in the rule is obscene, and again, what one person deems to be obscene might be vastly different from what another person does. Um, and what we're seeing is that many people are choosing to define obscene as anything that relates to identity. Mm -hmm. So whether that's racial or ethnic identity or LGBTQIA identity, um, the materials that we're seeing consistently challenged are relating to identity. And so it's this idea that libraries can't purchase and, according to the rule, display materials that um, fit an ambiguous definition of obscenity. Mm -hmm. So, we've, yeah, oh, so we've talked about this um, at length uh, in past segments. And at that time, we've heard different things with sort of the, the same theme underlying. I mean, you said that it's six things that are are part of this new rule. Much of it is really not anything new. So what is it that you are hearing from libraries about having to comply with these new rules written in this particular way? What we're hearing from libraries is a lot of confusion. And when this first rule came out, um, it kind of came out out of the blue, there were a number of library directors that reached out to the Secretary of State's office and that talked to lawyers trying to get clarity on what it might mean. And there really hasn't been any guidance. So libraries throughout the state are choosing a variety of options to try and figure out how to comply with this rule because, again, it is based on an individual or personal perspective. Many libraries, um, like St. Charles and like Jefferson County and um, Columbia, where I live, already have in place age restrictions saying, you know, no one of course can have a card if they're a minor without permission from their parents. But now that's being much more explicitly stated. So some of the language involves things like saying in granting permissions, legal guardians acknowledge that all materials of the library will be available to the minor. And this explicit terminology or this explicit language now is being um, something that's a part of signing to say, yes, my child can have a library card. Mm -hmm. Certain counties have decided, okay, this is an opt-out situation. We're not going to revoke the library cards for children. We're just going to say, you know, this new language is there. We're sending out a message. And if parents want to opt out, they can say, you know what, I don't want my child to have a card anymore, so I'm going to opt out and their card is no longer valid. Other districts are deciding to expire all cards for minors, so anyone under the age of 18, and say no parents actually need to come in and sign new permissions just to make sure we have on record that every individual parent is agreeing to this. Mm -hmm. um, it's being seen in a lot of other actions as well here in Columbia. Uh, teens no longer can get temporary access to computers that have internet. They can still access the catalog to search for materials, but they can't access the internet which, of course, is a barrier for doing things like homework if teenagers are coming to the library after school to do homework while parents are still at work. Right. So it, it's 
showing up in a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. Well, and given that school is just about to start, certainly it seems that um, these uh, these practical uh, barriers and challenges are, are going to come to the fore even more. Uh, we would like to invite you to join the conversation this hour. How often did you visit your local library as a kid or teen? What did having that space and resource mean to you at the time? Or what are your visits to the library with young people like now? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 314-382-TALK. You can also email us at talk at stlpr.org. Now, at the beginning of the show, we heard Jason Cole, CEO of the St. Charles City County Library District. He told STLPR reporter Marissa Ann Lewis-Thompson that most of the things the rule addresses, uh, in the same way that you've said, Kimberly, um, that they've been in place in libraries for years. Most of the things that the rule addresses have been in place in libraries for years. You know, we have always had a way to challenge items. We have always been staunch advocates for parental involvement with their kids' library access. Um, we encourage it. We're on their side. We want to do. We want to make sure that um, parents are involved. So, yeah, I, I think not not too much has changed. And um, I think in in many ways, and I'm going to quote another library director here that this is a solution in search of a problem. But we're going to continue providing all the materials that we've always provided to the public and um, promoting freedom of access for everyone. So, Kimberly, what do you feel when you hear Jason say they will continue to promote freedom of access for everyone? And, you know, are libraries hampered now in that goal? This is the mission of every library. We want to provide access to materials for everyone, and we want everyone to find the things that they're looking for at the public library. Public library collections are diverse because our communities are diverse. We never want to just have materials that talk to one community or one identity or one perspective. And so providing access and continuing to provide access to all perspectives and to all needs and all families is really the goal. So yes, the library's mission is still the same. This rule doesn't change that. Libraries still want to be there for families with children and to be there for those children and teens as they explore and they find what they're interested in and hopefully love and gain a love of literacy as they go through that process, but also to have things like technology that aren't always accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yes, the mission of the library has remained the same. It's just a matter of how do we comply with this rule in a way that still allows us to provide for a diverse community without ever having those underrepresented voices Mm -hmm. taken away. Right. Now, the library has or will write a publicly accessible policy allowing the parents or guardians of minors to challenge the age appropriateness of any library event or material that's also um, part of what is going on right now. Is there a precedent, any precedent, for a rule like this, you know, that allows the public to dictate and possibly change the way a library organizes its catalog, Kimberly? 
Of course. Actually, libraries have consistently had challenge and reconsideration policies throughout their history. We want feedback from our patrons. We are a community and a public service, and we want to have that input from our community, both the positive feedback, because we love positive feedback, but also the challenges and the reconsideration and the criticism, because that's how we grow. And so every library that I've ever known has a challenge or a reconsideration policy. The only difference that I've seen in this past year is an adaptation of those policies to say, in order to challenge a material, the challenge must come from someone living or that owns property in the district or in the county. We've oh. seen tons of challenges come in from people that don't even live in Missouri. Um, there's a large group in Florida that has been, for example, um, going through lists and sending lists of, you know, here are materials to challenge. And so the policy has adapted a little bit, um, and it is unique to each library. Each library does handle things differently based on whether it goes through board of directors or whether it goes through board of curators, just depending on um, where you're at and what that policy looks like. But there's always been a way for patrons to say, you know what, I think that this isn't what I expected. Mm -hmm. And really, all of the way that libraries usually handle this is through a conversation, talking with a patron and saying, okay, we're sorry that your experience with the library wasn't what you expected. What were you looking for? What can we help you find? Because again, there should be something for everyone present. So if you were unhappy with this particular experience, how do we change that so your interaction with the library is positive? And then sure, let's take a look at what your concern was and not just ignore it. So that's always been a part of how libraries operate. This just makes it, um, I would say it's much more discussed. It makes it much more significant part of the conversation. The number of challenges has dramatically increased. But this is something that Missouri and that the American Library Association have kept track of consistently. You can go through the American Library Association's history and see each year where challenges come from, and there's a ton of data that's collected on it. Mm -hmm. So it's something we take seriously. Right. We have John calling from Ferguson. John, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Thank you. I've been a trustee for the public library about 15 years over the last 20 years. And this is the first time we've ever had anybody from the state really pay attention to it. And it seems like such a waste of our time. I mean, my thought is that the Secretary of State has better things to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> John, you thank know. you. And that actually gets to something that I was wondering, and that is that with all this energy um, and the resources that librarians are having to put into compliance with this new rule, what is it that um, that patrons and community members are, are now missing? From what we see, I mean, we're trying to find a way to service more people. Like we have this, have an outreach on the West Floor, so there's people who need copies, faxes, computer access, stuff like that. You know, this is truly what some of the underserved population need, but yet we have to chase around trying to make sure that we're in compliance with with the Secretary of State. Right. John, thank you. Kimberly, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd love to add to that. Um, 
My thought is that yes, libraries are starting to have to do less because they're already pretty dramatically understaffed in Missouri. And when you take time to say, okay, we're writing new policies, but we're not just writing new policies, um, part of this particular rule is having to post challenges on the website. And most of those, again, were already available, but going through and having an itemized list on a homepage is an additional burden and does take extra time. And it's especially a burden for rural communities where internet access isn't universal. And many libraries don't necessarily have a web page that they run or maintain. They just might have a homepage with hours and very basic details, but they don't have anyone hired to continually update a website. So it definitely, right, it definitely right. is an extra burden. So if you have a single librarian who's trying to run a rural community library by themselves, and all of a sudden they're spending their time updating the web page instead of looking at new materials and cataloging items and circulating and reshelving and doing all the things that go into the day-to-day of a library job. Sure. Um, It it just means there's not as much programming. (laughs) Sorry to interrupt there. We're going to take a very quick break here, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. Now back to our conversation with Kimberly Muller, president-elect of the Missouri Library Association and University of Missouri librarian. We have Sherry calling from St. Louis. Sherry, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Hello, how are you? Good. Talk with us. <laughs> well, uh, they, you said any comment. I thought she was recording me, but I'll go forward. Um, the first thing I want to say about my own personal experience about the library is that it is just has been a wonderful experience in my life. I grew up in the city of St. Louis, and going to the library was a weekly event for myself and my girlfriend. And so not only did it provide the exposure to the information that the books had, but it also allowed us to have that little communal reality uh, walking to and from the library. And I used to do a funny thing. I used to always get one book about in an area that I had no interest. Mm. And as a result, I have a lot of trivia <laughs> information <laughs> that that I hold. Uh, but the other thing is that through the years with, uh, you know, my family growing up, et cetera, you know, the library, as it has changed, we've utilized it all the time. Of course, I lived in a different area, but... You know, uh, once the computers came in, if my computer wasn't working, I could run to the library and the boys could get their assignments done, et cetera. Mm. Uh, even now, and trust me, I'm up there in age, I will use the library uh, for the various services, the, uh, the computers, the, any of the technology, but also classes that they provide, you know, to, again, help to provide that communal reality. All of my children have grown and gone away. Right. So it still provides that experience as well. Yeah. I mean, Sherry, thank you so much. That 
I think that aspect of how it serves different generations and families is something that uh, we also are hearing from Linda in University City. Linda, briefly, what would you like to add to the conversation? Yes, um, I'm concerned for families where the parents have to work more than 40 hours a week and um, who's, who, who, uh, for whom renewing a library card would be difficult. So if their child's library card is revoked in order to get them to sign, to, to renew a, um, their permission, well, those parents may be too busy working, right. um, doing laundry, buying groceries to be able to make it to the library to do that, and their kids lose out. Mm-hmm. Now, public libraries, thank you, Linda, are one of the places stu- people are going to be getting their books. And we should acknowledge that while there are people limiting access to reading materials for young people with these public libraries, there are also libraries and librarians focused on expanding and diversifying their collections. We heard from Principia School head librarian, Diane Hammond, who told our producer, Emily Woodbury, that seven years ago, she realized the school student body was becoming more diverse and that its book collection needed to reflect that diversity. I wanted our collection and our books to represent our students. So I created a marginalized voices area that is like front and center of our library. And it all started because we had students requesting an LGBT plus section. And I created that section and the response was wonderful. Students welcomed it, the administration we were supportive. And so this whole area, which is in the front and center of our library, just expanded so that it it included Black fiction and nonfiction, courageous women, Asian, Asian American, Latinx, Hispanic, and Native Americans. And it's just been so wonderful for the students to be able to see themselves, but also be able to experience another's experience and perspective. It's the whole window in mirrors concept. Our producer also asked Diane what her students have to say about these rules, these debates about what is appropriate for them, but don't invite them into the discussion. I mean, I'm sure that they are aware of it on some level, but for the most part, they're not at all concerned, (laughs) which is actually lovely. Um, I know that the students appreciate the the depth of the books that we have, and I'm I'm thrilled to see that there is there is an interest in the nonfiction. It's not just the the fiction, the you know the teen teen books, but it is the nonfiction that is getting into tough issues, and I. I'm thrilled by that. And they don't seem at all phased by any of this. Now, in the final couple minutes we have here, Kimberly, in terms of support from communities, do you feel that by and large libraries have the support of the communities they serve? Absolutely. And I think this has been the most rewarding part of the entire last few months while we've been discussing the rule and discussing other potential legislation. The 
challenges, the negative responses to libraries have really been a very small minority. I would say a very vocal minority, but a very small, small minority. We have so many community members that are supportive, that come up on a daily basis, either to people at the desk or that send emails to the Missouri Library Association, or that are just through a variety of different ways letting us know that we have their support. Uh, my if you, if you were going to say, like, what would we do to support libraries, my request would that our communities start taking that support that they're giving us, because they are, they really are, um, and telling legislators, telling your representatives, telling the people who support you at the state level how you feel about libraries, why they're important to you, why they matter, and that you want to see them continue to be supported. And um, I think that's the... The biggest thing that's come out of all of this is we have seen mm -hmm. people throughout Missouri write responses when this rule came out. Right. Kimberly Muller is president-elect of the Missouri Library Association and a University of Missouri librarian. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.